Well, this morning we're possibly beginning on a six-week tour in Matthew. Uh, Maybe not. We'll see. But today we're going to be in Matthew, at least a couple of verses. And we're going to take a deep dive into uh, just a few verses. And actually, if we did Matthew chapter 10, if you actually read all of Matthew chapter 10, uh, one thing you're going to find out, there's a lot of bad news in that chapter. Uh, there is uh, hard times, there's rejection, there's betrayal, there's a family division in Matthew 10. Uh, there's some persecution, there's some imprisonment, there's some beatings, uh, there's some lies, there's some slander, there's some verbal abuse. Uh, there's a little bit of hatred. You kind of go, wow, that sounds kind of interesting. Now, when I read through that, I thought to myself, why would anybody sign up for that kind of life? Because all of that stuff that I just read you, all that bad stuff, was what was happening to Christ followers. I mean, why would we sign up for something like that? Well, I got to reflect back to one of my favorite Angola prison ministers. Uh, One time uh, we're down there and we normally go to worship on uh, Tuesday nights at the main prison. And I remember him saying, if you're going to be a Christian, be one. If you're going to be on the play on the world's team, put on the world's jersey. But if you're going to be on God's team, put on God's jersey. And I thought that's really kind of a great thing to hear. Now, these days, what we really need are a whole bunch of Christ followers who aren't particularly ashamed of their faith because compromise never wins you any friends. I've discovered that. I, I've had a few people like, well, Pastor, can't we compromise on that issue? And I kind of go, no, <laughs> really, what's the matter with you? Well, um, I kind of like believe in God's word. <laughs> So, uh, but, you know, you're going to be too Christian for some people in this world. I mean, I've had people say, you're forever bringing Jesus into this. Uh, I'm tempted to say, sorry, <laughs> but I'm not. And you're going to be too worldly for some Christians. Yeah, believe it or not, people are like, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a Christian pastor. Where'd that come from? Well, so when Jesus comes to the end of his message, all this bad stuff happening in verse in chapter 10, uh, he's talking to his disciples and he is warning them repeatedly of the trouble that they can expect following him. Uh, He does what any good leader is going to do. And he answers the question, what's the reward for living like this? Now, I want to say at the front end, what we do is not earning us a way into heaven. I want you to understand that. I'm not talking about good deeds earning you a way into heaven. But the question is, the reward that we get is because we do follow Jesus in a variety of ways. So it's a pretty fair question. You know, the answer is, what's the reward? Well, following Jesus won't win you any praise from this world. That's the reward. If you dare to take a, stake, straight, a, a strong stand on any moral issue today, I'm not going to talk about anyone, but you all know what the moral issues are, are today. Uh, you see it on television. You see it on news stuff. People are standing under this issue or this issue or this issue, this political issue or whatever. But if you take a strong stand on some moral issue because of your Christian faith, there's a possibility in some places you could lose your job. I I saw not long ago a a teacher that was removed from their classroom for calling her students boys and girls. Now, that seems pretty simplistic to me, but evidently there are some other people frequenting her classroom than boys and girls. So 
Well, what are we going to do about that? Um, you might even be sued. Uh, you'll certainly be attacked on social media if you post it on Facebook or Twitter or places like that. See, all around the world then, all of our Christian brothers and sisters face that same threat. It's a little bit different. I mean, if you go to foreign countries, uh, you're going to face things like arrest. You could be put into prison. There would be physical violence. Uh, there are some people who actually are martyred for their faith. So the question is, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Now, I'm assuming all of you are going, well, yeah, that's why we're here today. But maybe we'd be better off kind of keeping our heads down, you know, keep our mouths shut and not make waves. So why would we want to risk our career or our life or our standing in the community or friendships or whatever when we could just kind of go along to get along? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives four promises to those of us who follow. Here's the first promise. He says, if you stick in there with me, we will connect people with God. And I find that to be most exciting in my role as a pastor or as a teacher. That, you know, you meet somebody and you finally connect them to Jesus. Uh, verse 40 says, the one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Now, I hope you notice the connection there in that, that Bible verse. He says, you know, people welcome you, they get to know you. And by welcoming you, whether they know it or not, they're welcoming Jesus. That may come a little bit later, but by welcoming Jesus, and once they kind of understand, okay, you are a Christ follower and you, you introduce them to Jesus, they're also following his Father as well. And that's kind of the clearest possible answer to a question that I've heard a lot of people raise. This can be an odd question. Maybe you've heard this before. Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? You ever heard that question before? Do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Well, I've heard some people say yes, uh, as if to say, well, we have Jesus with God. Uh, they just happen to have God without Jesus. When I've heard that, I, I said, I, I don't think Jesus allows us to say that. <laughs> I don't think we can say that. Uh, Jesus said this in a negative sense in John 15, 23, says, whoever hates me hates who? Hates my father as well. So sadly, today in this multicultural world that you and I live in, we're we're in we've enshrined tolerance. You know, keep your opinions to yourself. We've enshrined diversity. We've enshrined pluralism. It's kind of like our new secular trinity. We don't have the Father, Son, Holy Spirit anymore. We've got tolerance, diversity and pluralism. But one way to God, how dare you say such a thing? But we don't get to pick and choose which statements that Jesus makes um, to follow. The Bible teaches very clearly, teaches very repeatedly. There is one God and there's only one way to know him, and that is through Jesus. Now, of course, there, there are any number of people who say, well, there are many roads to God. Okay, I'll agree with that one. That's true. Every road does eventually lead to God, but the only way to really know him is in Jesus. So in one respect, uh, I guess it doesn't matter which ism you want to follow. 
uh, which road you want to travel. You can you can go through atheism. You can be in spiritualism. You can be in voodooism. Uh, you can be in Buddhism, communism, Hinduism, and ismism, or whatever. But only one road leads to heaven. That's what Jesus meant when he said in John fourteen six. Some of you already know that Bible verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me, through me. So here's the good news for all of us. When we preach the gospel, when we talk to people about Jesus, we end up really connecting them with God. And so we're preaching the one and only message that leads us from earth to heaven. Now, here's the second promise he makes. We will become a source of blessing to other people. Again, verse 41, anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, we can't all be prophets. I've never been called a prophet. I've been called an apostle. Uh, Not all of us are preachers. Uh, Not all of us are missionaries. Uh, We can't all be pastors. But guess what? I think we can all be leaders in some way. Some way, somewhere, somehow. I don't know if you're familiar with the poet John Milton. Uh, John Milton uh, lost his eyesight at the end of his life. You can imagine being a poet and not being able to see. Well, he actually wrote a a sonnet uh, called On His Blindness. And in it, he reflects on what it means in the grand scheme of things to lose something really precious. Well, to lose your sight is a pretty precious thing. And what he wrote in this in his sonnet was this. God does not need man's work or his own gifts. That's kind of a rebuke to our pride. God doesn't need any of us. He doesn't need our gifts. Now, we sometimes think God can't do this without us. Kind of a dangerous activity for a pastor. Well, you know, if I didn't show up today, nobody would know about Jesus. <laughs> ha. They'd figure it out anyway. Uh, God was doing fine before the king of the universe, as king of the universe before we ever came along. So he doesn't really need any of us. So it's kind of an honor that we should be used in any way, whether it's large or small. Now, seen in that light, Milton's famous last line in that sonnet stands as kind of a personal statement of what it means to serve God without your eyesight. His last comment in his sonnet is, they also serve who only stand and wait. That's us. At any given moment in history, some people rise to the top. There are presidents, there are kings, there are famous people of all varieties. It's the same in the Christian world, but not every pastor pastors a megachurch. I can't say that I've ever really pastored a megachurch. I've pastored several large churches. Not every author becomes famous. Not every evangelist speaks to 100,000 people at one time in a stadium someplace. And Jesus alludes to this. If you read Matthew chapter 25, he talks about some people who only have what? One talent? There are some people who have two talents. And guess what? There are some people who have five talents. See, what we like to say, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and it is in a sense that we're all sinners in desperate need of a savior, it's true that we all have. It's not true that we all have the same gifts or the connections. We don't have the same opportunities. 
Some people have more. Some people have less. So God is not obligated to treat me, for example, differently than he treats other people. And so as Jesus promises to level the playing field in a way different than we would expect. So we see the prophets. We see the great leaders. Uh, but we rarely see who's standing in the shadows behind them. Have a big church, guess what? Your pastor can be, quote, a megastar, but somebody's taking care of the children. There's somebody there who's welcoming people at the front door. There's somebody who's making coffee. There's somebody who goes and picks up a neighbor and brings them to church. There's someone who just sits out in the lobby kind of trying to catch the last person to bring him in the door. We're in the shadow, some of us. Here's the third amazing promise Jesus makes. He says, those who stand and wait in the shadows receive the same reward as the man or woman who receives all the public acclaim. I don't know if you ever heard this. He won thousands for Christ. Guess what? He didn't do it all alone. Oh, he built a great church. But he didn't do it all alone. Oh, she filled stadiums with thousands of people who come and want to listen to her sing. She didn't do it all by herself. Uh, some of you know um, Christ for India is very important to Nancy and I. It's a ministry we have supported for, gosh, I don't even know, 25, 30 years maybe already. Uh, I've been a board member uh, for a long time. Currently, I'm the vice president of Christ for India. And Christ for India is a great example. I had a chance to talk to Jameson Titus this last week. And he's the president of Christ for India. And I asked him, uh, how many churches has Christ for India planted in the time this been around? He says, well, we have graduated 170 Indian pastors from our seminary. And they have planted well over 600 churches in India. Now, in addition to that, they planted 600 churches, but some of those churches have also planted other churches. He said, he said indirectly, those 170 pastors have planted perhaps more than 6,000 churches in India of one kind or another. And then I said something to him. I said, but they didn't do it all by themselves, did they? He, James is like, what? Say that again. I said, I'm not taking the honor away from those pastors. But to plant a church takes more than just the pastor. Oh, we could talk about all kinds of other uh, things. I talk about we talk about restore. Takes more than just the one guy who stands up and yaps for twenty minutes. You know, when I was asked to start restore, I said I, I'll do it if I can take three guys with me, because I knew I couldn't do it alone. There's one of them right there, Jeff. One over there is Anthony. Well, it's not Kathy, but it was Joel at that time. It was me. And guess what? Each of these people has somehow figured out how to find other people. And so we can say, wow, look at this. Look what we've done. But it's taken a lot of people to get it done. See, in the Christian world, we all have our heroes. Uh, we have our favorite pastors. We have our favorite Bible teachers. We have our favorite Christian actors. We have our favorite Christian musicians. And there's nothing wrong with having heroes. But those who serve alongside them, according to Scripture, win the same reward. Uh, we can't all be prophets, but we can all be all receive a prophet's reward. 
See, Jesus ends this message down in, with this promise, number four. We will be remembered for the tiniest acts of kindness. Verse 42, whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, paideo, I like that little Greek word, because he is a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Now, I want to walk through this passage a little bit closer, but look at the, look at the person that's talked about in that verse. It's whoever, whoever. In other words, there's no limit to that promise. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be a missionary. Uh, you don't need to be a seminary professor. You don't need to be ordained. You, I'm going to. Somebody's going to probably hear this too. You don't need a doctorate. <laughs> I know there's at least two of us who have one to qualify for the kingdom of God. You don't need that. The question is, do you have a cup of cold water? If you do, you're qualified. That's pretty simple. Now look at the recipients. It says, one of these little ones. Now, in context, Jesus is talking about the least among his followers because Jesus is no front runner. Jesus doesn't run out in front of the crowd. He's always with the crowd. Have you ever... You read, through the, you read through the Gospels, and Jesus is always surrounded by people, and they're all kinds of people. They're, they're strange people. He's got everything from prostitutes to tax collectors to ordinary people, people with leprosy and people uh, who hate him and people who love him, but he's always around people. But there are little ones all around us. And so if you reach out to the hurting or to the forgotten or to the marginalized or to the poor or the homeless or the hungry or... Oh, man, the list goes on and on. The abused people who live in the slums, let's say in Mumbai and in India, uh, to a, a man or a woman or a child who's caught up in sex trafficking or uh, to prisoners in prison or to the immigrants who walk into our country or to widows or to orphans or whatever. Jesus said, you're concerned for those people. The rest of the world don't see, might not see, but I see it. But then look at the action. It says, give a cup of cold water. Yeah, that's pretty simple when you think about it. Inexpensive, often unseen, requires very little preparation. As someone has said, a cup of cold water may contain a sea of warm love. Now, for most of us, well, let's look at the reward here. So I assure you, he says, I assure you. Now, the original Greek uses a double negative, which really, if you translate, is never, ever, no way. Kind of interesting way to translate. See, but for most of us, a cup of cold water is no big deal. If we're thirsty, what do we do? Well, in our house, we go to the refrigerator because we've got the Culligan water that runs through and comes through the refrigerator. And we want cold water, what do we do? We hold it in the same place and shove the little thing in, and ice comes out of the refrigerator. And uh, But for many people in the world... Um, Fresh water is a rare, rare treat. Now, you may forget giving somebody something like that, but Jesus doesn't. Now, you may think nothing of it, but Jesus remembers it forever. Uh, Matthew 25, Jesus says it this way. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you we see you as a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? That's a long list. I mean, surely if you'd ever fed Jesus, wouldn't you remember it? If he came to your house, I think you'd remember that. Surely you'd give Jesus, if you gave Jesus some clothes, you'd remember it. If you visited Jesus in prison, you would have remembered it. But the thing is, we don't. So Jesus explains, he says, okay, you never did it to me, but whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Now, just think about what that means for all of us. We know when we go in his name, he goes with us. That's what we did the other day at White River. We went in his name. And he goes along and he opens up doors for conversation. Uh, We know we are going with him and we're going for him. Uh, But now we know we're also going to him. So he's always on the receiving end of all of these human transactions. He's there in the face of refugees, and we've got plenty of those in our country. He stands with homeless people who are at highway exits all over the place. Uh, He sees single moms who struggle with three small children. Uh, Jesus is literally in in every cell, in every prison in the world. He's there for these people. Uh, He walks the halls of the cancer units and the nursing homes and the memory care places. All the hospitals, he hears the cries of abused children and the abandoned. So there's a sense in which Jesus can be found wherever there is human pain and suffering. And if there's a broken heart, guess what? You can find Jesus there. Now, if there's sadness or guilt, Jesus will be there as well. That's why Jesus was actually called a man of sorrows. But there's a deeper sense in which you can find Jesus wherever you find people scattered on this earth. Matthew 18:20 says we're two or three. Now we were worried about whether we we're going to break our all-time low this morning. Guess what? We got more than two or three. And what's the promise? Matthew 18:20. We're two or three. If if it only come down to let's say Mary, Evelyn, Anthony, and me today, <laughs> there I am in the midst of them. See, when we help his people, we help him. When we dry a tear or offer a word of hope, we serve him. Uh, when we go the extra mile, even though we're already dead tired and frustrated because we don't have time and energy and we're behind schedule and we do it anyway, he sees it, he knows it, he marks it down as if we did it for him personally. See, what matters to Jesus are the things that we can't even remember. I mean, a cup of cold water, buying somebody a cup of coffee. Uh, say, I really don't eat these, but would you like my bag of chips? Uh, it's a quick phone call. It's a text message. Uh, it's just a, hi, how you doing? It's a pat on the back. It's, uh, it's a prayer over the telephone. Or maybe just a few minutes of conversation before worship and after worship with somebody who's around. It's just a word of encouragement. It might just be visiting a sick friend. It's answering a text that says, Pastor, will you pray for me? It's a trip to prison. It's going to White River. It's being here on a Thursday and handing out food. 
or just sitting down with a bunch of people over here and enjoying a cup of coffee and a donut with them and just talking about whatever's on their heart or on their mind. I'm a, I'm a sports fan. Most of you, you know that. Uh, part of the reason I was a kind of a junior high, high school, even college basketball coach for years. So I, I follow a lot of athletes. And um, some of them have been good, bad, and ugly. Uh, one of them I remember because I, I watched his um, he had about a 20-minute show at one time. It ran on ESPN a number of years ago. Um, his former baseball player, superstar, his name was Daryl Strawberry. I don't know if any of you know that name. But Daryl Strawberry uh, was sharing his testimony. And I'm always curious when athletes who I know have fallen off the wagon, literally, are going to share a testimony. You know, don't know what that's going to be. I do know that in his big league career, he had 335 home runs. I know he was named to the All-Star team eight times. He was on a four-time world championship team with the Yankees. But along the way, there was always a well-documented and repeated struggle with drugs and alcohol. Uh, He spoke about these weaknesses, and when he spoke, you know, it almost bring people like myself to tears to hear where he'd been and how his life had changed. And he didn't blame anybody for his problems except for himself. But when he finally surrendered his life to Jesus, he was transformed. And these words, I, I went back and hunted them up. You can, you can find the whole thing on, on YouTube or whatever. This is how he summarized his entire career. He said, when I got to the end of my life, God's not going to ask, Daryl, how many grand slams did you hit? He's going to ask, what did you do for my kingdom? I thought, whoa, it's a good question for all of us. What did you do for my kingdom? See, exactly right. And, and that, in a sense, is what Jesus is saying. The things we count as important here on this earth, you know, the rewards, the championships, the, the rings, the titles, the, the money, the status, our connections, you know, having our name on lights or <laughs> something like that, it doesn't really make any difference in eternity. See, when we stand before the Lord someday... A cup of cold water we gave to some thirsty child somewhere, someplace, is going to count way more than any number of degrees you have, any amount of money you've ever earned, any sizable house you've ever lived in, size of your, uh, your bank account, because uh, we're just called to be faithful in doing whatever God gives us to do. I mean, I know all of you here, and I pretty much know what you all do for a living. I even know there are people who are retired who are just living off their previous living. <laughs> but I, I know that all of you interact with people in some way every day. And it might be stuff you don't even think about. It could just be smiling at somebody who wasn't smiling when they came to pick up a prescription. It, it might just made their entire day. You never can tell. Somebody wants to say, can I bring it? I got a small child, never seen a horse before. Can I bring it out? Could you show the horse around? And you kind of think, that's no big deal. Yeah, sure. That cup of cold water for that kid. Writing a birthday card and writing it all in Spanish. Do you realize I had to find a translator? <laughs> Actually, I knew about every third word, but if I put the, all, every third word together, it didn't make any sense. So Nancy took a picture of it, sent it to our friend, 
and his wife and sent back the translation to me. See, we all touch different people in different ways. And we're just called to be faithful. And some of these moments we're going to forget. We won't remember this. Some of them we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Uh, and sometimes just a chance to help the hurting or to answer a question or lift somebody's spirits, whatever. So whether it's big or small, guess what? Jesus sees it all. And he remembers it all. And even though we don't get into heaven on account of it, he rewards us all for all of this stuff. See, long after we have forgotten, forgotten all of the frustrations of this life, he remembers and will be rewarded. It kind of comes down to this. I think there's one more statement. I think it might be. Jesus forgets what we remember and he remembers what we forget. In a manner of speaking, that's, that's the gospel right there. Jesus forgets what we remember, but he remembers what we forget. So the question is, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Well, you really got to kind of make up your mind on your own. I can't do it for you. But I would suggest that the best thing you could do, if you want a recommendation, is pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It's not easy, but pick it up anyway. It's okay. Follow him where he leads. It's the one decision that you will never, ever forget. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you never ask us to sacrifice for no reason. Uh, When the going gets tough, open our eyes to see eternal realities. May we not shrink back from your call, but gladly say, here I am. Send me. Send me. Amen.